ready to grow your business by building relationships online and offline? Are you looking for a system to attract new prospects and nurture your past clients? Maybe you're a business owner, a sales professional, or an entrepreneur. If you are, then great. Join me, Janice Porter, as we blast past your barriers to success and explore the power of relationships for your business. And welcome to the Relationships Rule Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Relationships Rule Podcast. I'm your host, Janice Porter, and I'm very excited about my guest this week, Brian Miller. First of all, welcome to the to the um, podcast, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled to talk to you. Thank you. I'm a bit tongue-tied today, just getting over um, a virus, and uh, um, <laughs> so feeling a bit tongue-tied. But nevertheless, I want to share with my audience your brilliance. Brian is a magician turned author, speaker, and consultant on human connection. He works with organizations who believe anyone deserves to feel heard, understood, and valued. He also helps thought leaders get invited to TEDx and deliver the talk of their dreams in his speaking program, Conquer the Red Dot. His, his TEDx talk um, back, I think, in 2015, which was called How to Magically Connect with Anyone, has been magically viewed 3.5 million times or more because I've watched it <laughs> twice now. So there you go. <laughs> um, Publishers Weekly raved about his book, The Three New, Three New People, and uh, said that Miller brilliantly outlines a system for deepening relationships. And we're going to dig into that a little bit because I uh, just finished reading Brian's book. His podcast, Beyond Networking, features intimate conversations with legends and leaders of industries about the relationships, connections, and chance encounters that got them there. And welcome again. And I'd like to start, Brian, by saying chance encounters. I loved the story about your chance encounter on that airplane ride because this was at the beginning of Brian's book. You can't see it, but you can see I've got yellow stickies all over it. Three, <laughs> three new people. And um, the person that wrote the foreword of Brian's book is the um, person that was part of that was the um, other person in this chant and chance encounter. And I wonder if you'd just share that with me a little bit, my audience a little bit, because what it said for me was that you are like me you talk to people like and you never know where it's going to go and so like i think i said this to you um when we first uh spoke that you know in five minutes i can get someone's life history because i just am curious and i like to ask questions and for you it wasn't quite that it was just kind of tell the story please yeah so it's literally a chance Four words. Yeah, four me. words that changed my life. Yes, that's that's true. This is it's one of my all time favorite stories, and the the woman in this chance encounter story has become a dear dear friend and colleague, and actually quite a bit. Uh, this is actually very timely uh, because yes. she just had a major book release this week um, that's breaking records and selling out all. all oh, over the really? World. I um, didn't know it. It had just come out. Oh, right? so, yeah, uh, it just yeah. came out last week. So. So I was, I was the short version of the story is I was at the airport. I was in my early 20s. I was in my early career as a magician and uh, I was traveling a lot. I was getting a little uh, disillusioned with my traveling career as a magician because I, I wasn't quite 
I'd been in at it for a few years, but I hadn't quite cracked the success I had hoped for. I'd had some success, but then the valleys and peaks were still pretty aggressive. And I was on the road a ton, but not making a lot of money. Most of it was going to the airline fees and all of this stuff and the hotels. So it looked great on social media, but it wasn't as great as it actually uh, looked. And I was at the airport at some four o'clock in the morning, you know, when they turn the airport on, you know, when someone flicks a switch and it's very, uh, it's, it's very eerie. And I was exhausted and like just sweating and gross and not having, not having a great morning. And I was wearing the same clothes I always wore on, uh, when I traveled, I had like this pair of jeans. That was my favorite jeans. I had a zip up hoodie, which by the way, I always tell people this just pro tip. If you don't travel that much, always wear a zip-up hoodie. You can never tell if the plane's going to be too hot or too cold. And with a zip-up, you can regulate your own temperature. That is literally the best tip in my book. Um, so I see people in keynotes when I mention that. They, I can see them writing it down. Um, like, you didn't write down any of that other stuff? Uh, anyway, so I had on my jeans, my zip-up hoodie, and I had on a fedora because I was a magician and I always used to wear a fedora. Um, I did stop wearing a fedora at some point, and this is the truth. I stopped wearing it because I used to speak at middle schools occasionally, and kids are mean. So I had a (laughs) – that's the truth. So I had on my hat and my jeans and everything, and I get on the plane. I get all the way to the back of the plane because I got the last seat on the plane. You know, And and I don't know if you've ever been at the last seat of an airplane. It's not a good place to be. It's 45 miles. It takes you an hour to get back. You can be at the place by the time you get to the back of the plane. And the, 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 the bathroom door is right there. I'm like getting nauseous because I can smell it. And it's 4 a.m. It's gross. So I go to sit down and I notice that my seatmate is already there. Like there's, there's this woman sitting. She looks to be her, I don't know, I couldn't tell at the time, mid-30s maybe, businesswoman. You know, a pants suit and a pixie haircut, drinking Starbucks, reading the paper. And I'm just like this gross sweaty, tired magician. You ever feel like apologizing to someone as you sit next to them? I kind of had this like, she doesn't deserve this. You know what I mean? (laughs) So I I sit down. The pilot instantly comes on and says, hey, uh, how we doing, folks? Now I'm going to call timeout, Janice, because I don't know if you used to travel as much as I used to travel before the world fell apart, but uh, that's a red flag. See, pilots don't chat at 4 a.m. unless there's a really good reason. And so I know, being a frequent flyer, that something bad is coming. And he tells us it's going to be an hour-long delay because someone forgot to you know, put the wing on or whatever. And I, like, that's all I can hear, right? So I'm just about to put on my headphones to drown out the misery of my morning. Now, I never do that. I never put on my headphones in public. I love music. I went to school for music. You can see guitars are lined on the walls behind me. But when you put on your headphones in public, you tell the whole world, I'm not interested. You put up a a brick wall between you and the world. Mm -hmm. And so I try not to do that. But I was so miserable that morning. I'm just about to put on my headphones. And right before I got them on my ears, I hear this. I hear, I like your hat. And I just turn, and it's the lady sitting next to me. And you know on the plane, her face is like six inches from my face. You know what I mean? And I look at her, and she kind of like giggles, and she's like, I'm sorry, I I noticed back in the terminal, but I thought it'd be kind of weird to say that to a stranger. But since we're sitting next to each other, I thought I would introduce myself and let you know. And she said, hi, I'm Zoe. And and so I I shook her hand to brighten my morning, and, you know, we started chatting. And at some point, I asked her the same question you always ask someone on a flight. I said, where are you going? Which, by the way, in retrospect, 
is a really dumb question to ask somebody on the same flight as you. It just yeah. only occurred to me years later. Uh, I said, where are you going? And she said, uh, Minneapolis or whatever. And I said, uh, what for? She said, a conference. I said, what kind of a conference? She said, marketing. And, you know, I'm self-employed. I'm into marketing. So I said, well, you know, what do you do? And she said, oh, I, I teach influence and persuasion at Yale's School of Management, Dr. Zoe Chance. And I was just like, my brain split into like a billion pieces. I, I was just like the coolest job title I'd ever heard in my life. <laughs> you know, I'm a magician. She teaches influence and persuasion. You know, I'm going, what you, your name is not really Dr. Chance. You know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> you're a spy. You have to, you know what I mean? Like there's something sneaky about this woman. Um, and so she says, really? And she says, where are you going? I said, Minneapolis. She said, what for? A conference? What kind of a conference? Entertainment. And she gets all excited. She says, well, what do you do? <clears throat> I said, I'm a magician. And she goes, shut up. You know what I mean? She had like that Elaine Bennis from Seinfeld moment. Yeah, She's like, yeah. get out. You know, I was like, seriously. And she goes, I love magicians. And I mean, I'm having this moment where I'm just like, I, I, pardon my French. I'm like, bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, nobody loves magicians. Like, we tolerate magicians oh, <laughs> at no. best. I love magicians. You know. Do you yes. see? I was a magician, and I didn't even love magicians. <laughs> um, you know, I'm like, all right, get get your cards out of my face. You know, so <laughs> so. But she, I said, you don't really love magicians. She says, I teach influence and persuasion. I study magicians, and no joke, she does. She studies magicians. So we ended up talking the whole flight. At the end of it, you know, I I I. Uh, she said, you have to let me know when your next show is back in Connecticut, and I said, it's like two months from now. I told her where it was. She said, I'll be there. And I was just like, bullshit. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's no way. And two months later, she was right there in the audience. And and she came up after the show. She said, that was so much fun. I have to bring you into Yale as a guest speaker. Nice. And, and I'm just like, I'm never going to see this lady again. I just keep thinking that. And two months later, I was a guest speaker at Yale in her class for the first time. And, you know, from there, we became friends and colleagues, and she ended up having a huge hand in developing the TEDx talk that transformed my life. And and uh, and and really all of it came back to the fact that one stranger on a plane mm -hmm. said, I like your hat. Yeah. None of that would have happened if she hadn't made that moment, that reach out. And it just that in and of itself transformed how I saw every relationship, every interaction from that point on. Do you remember, uh, did you ever hear the story about Jack Canfield on a plane? I feel like someone's told yeah. me this before, but remind me. Well, I, I don't remember the details, but I do remember that he was, he had been rejected for his chicken soup for the soul books or, or his first book or something many, many, many times. And then he was on a plane going somewhere, coming from somewhere, I don't know. And a woman sitting beside him happened to be like a publisher or some major um, organization. And, and that's how the story started. Yeah. I, it's vague to me now too, but, but it's, it's like, you never yeah. know, right? You never know. Yeah. And I, this is why I find myself saying all the time, you know, you have no idea what kind of opportunities are just on the other side of that next connection, that next interaction. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why I'm, I've, I've, built this whole career speaking and writing about the fact that every interaction is meaningful and we just don't realize that we we have such a habit of treating interactions as transactions mm -hmm. that we don't have any idea the kind of stories if you just ask like 
especially strangers. I think people get nervous to ask strangers questions. And honestly, it's the easiest person to ask questions because they, they know you don't know anybody in their life. It's the strangers will tell you the craziest, deepest secrets the that they would never right? tell people in their life. That's right. Because there's no risk. Yeah. Or yeah. And people have. The risk is incredibly low and they they feel this this is an opportunity for them to to say something and get away and you can see people get a weight off and when you actually listen really listen not just let them talk but listen i mean you know to to paraphrase something um julian treasure the 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 world-renowned communication specialist he i had the great great honor of having him on my podcast a few years ago and it was he was a hero of mine and and, you know, he said most people on Earth have never had the experience of truly being listened to. And he just thought that is probably true, you know. So, OK, um, just before we came on air, I was going to um, share something with you that that I find so exciting that just happened. Um, so when I was interviewing and had met. Uh, a mutual friend of ours, Frank. Um, I listened to you being interviewed on Frank's podcast, and I went, "Oh, this guy's really interesting." I and I love magicians. I do, honestly. And um, <laughs> um, I told you about an eleven-year-old boy that came to I hired. Yeah. To be, yeah. Okay. So um, so awesome. Uh, and that was many years ago. Anyway, um, so I went and I asked Frank to introduce me to you. And I also then started, you know, I watched your Ted talk and I, I looked at your website and so on. And then um, we had a conversation and I, I really enjoyed it. And I bought your book and I read your book. And then just this morning I went to your podcast and I saw your recent interview with Zoe, who we just heard the story of how you two met. Um, and from that conversation, and I haven't listened to the whole thing yet, you mentioned somebody in that podcast, uh, or you said, no, it was in your um, show notes about one line from, or one word, sentence sums up this Zoe's book or something. And uh, it was about, I uh, forget the guy's name now, but. Uh, Chow, Robert Cialdini, Dr. Yes. Cialdini. Okay, so I looked him up because I'd never heard of him. And now I'm like, oh, influence and like and so once even when i'm not talking to a new person i'm learning about new people and a new whole yeah. world opens up for me that yeah. i didn't know before and i find that fascinating and so interesting and yeah. where is that you know where can that lead it's just so exciting to me do you understand it what is, i'm saying it is so exciting i i See, this is the thing where so many people will tell you that they really don't like talking to people. Most people, if you ask them, you say, if you say, do you like talking to strangers in public? And most people will tell you no, but they don't actually mean no. What they mean is the conversations that people tend to try to have with me in public, I'm not interested in. What really is exciting to me is every time I meet a new person, and this I've missed this in the last two years. I mean, this has been a transformational thing in my life that I've had to fight against very, very hard in the last two years to find outlets for this. I mean, literally wrote a book called Three New People and spent the last two years sitting in my own office, you know. And I know so it's hard. What's, yeah, it is hard. And 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 I, I underestimated for the first year of the pandemic what a toll it was taking on my my mental health, because mm -hmm. I'm such a people person and i think okay i think the people who don't think that they're people people 
uh, just haven't figured out how to be good at people. Right. And right. what I mean by that is there's such an opportunity with every person you meet to be the one reaching out. I think what most people want is they want someone to reach out to them and they think, well, if somebody actually asked me an interesting question, I'd like to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Well, be the person asking the interesting question. Mm -hmm. Be that person because notice that everybody around you is thinking the same thing. People are so desperate for human connection. No matter how many times somebody says, I don't like people when we actually do the studies and we actually do the research and we have all the research on global scales. Most people in the U.S., 63 percent right now, 64 percent of people feel lonely or isolated on a regular basis. I mean, that that's an insane that's two out of every three people you meet feel lonely or isolated. So give those people the gift of connection. Ask them. A question like in 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 the age of loneliness, the most generous thing you can do is reach out. The most selfish thing you can do is not say anything. Mm -hmm. It's so true. I'm. I think like you, I found towards that end of the first year kind of thing, I was starting to get depressed because I just yeah. I, I I need to be around people. And I just said last night to um, somebody, um, probably my sister, I don't remember, but I haven't seen her for over two years because she's not in my um, she's in the States. I'm in Canada. But um, I just, you know, I talk to her all the time, but it's not the same. And she's become kind of um, agoraphobic through this, mm. this whole pandemic. And so, you know, it's, it's, I found I was depressed a little bit. I'm coming out of it. I'm trying to get out the odd time, but I'm also noticing people don't call anymore. Like we've all mm. retreated. We're even my close friends. We don't talk as often. And it's, it's just, yeah. it's weird. Um, anyway, I, I, I just, we don't want to go down that rabbit hole too much, but in your book, you talk about, um, in your chapter, Utilizing Visual Perspective, I pulled out this quote because I, I really like it. Talking is easy. Connecting is hard. And it's just based on what we were just talking about. But um, when you are known as a connector, a relationship builder, as I am, as you are, as you teach people to be, how do you, how do you teach someone to connect with people? How, you, can you teach it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's such a good question. Can you teach it? And this is why you'll notice that I hardly ever talk about empathy. It's mentioned in my book, I think once or twice and mostly mentioned to talk about why I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> and and I get asked a lot. Wow. You know, it's amazing. I think you spent an hour talking about human connection on stage. I don't think you said anything about empathy. How can you not talk about empathy? And the reason is empathy is an emotional state, first of all, and it's really hard to teach someone how to be more emotional about something, right? Therapists do it, but they do it in dedicated hour-long weekly sessions over a long period of time. It's a very difficult thing to make minor increments, right? Um, teaching someone to be more empathic is very hard. However, teaching someone to be better at asking questions and asking the right kind of questions and to be able to take on someone else's perspective, right? Perspective taking. Mm -hmm. These are skills. These are tools. Uh, they are growth commodities. Nobody is born with the ability to do perspective taking or to ask interesting questions. It's something you have to learn. And interestingly, it's something that is not taught. It's not taught in school. There's never, like, I ask people in my workshops, what is human connection? 
and you get a hundred people blank stare, fully grown <laughs> adult humans, right? You know, and, and blank stare. And I'll say, okay, show of hands, who here has ever been asked that question before? Not one. Nobody has ever raised their hand ever in a workshop I've done. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Think about that. You get to the point where you're 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, and no one in your life has ever asked you, not a teacher, not a parent, not an adult, has asked you, what is human connection? What? How are we getting this far in life without even asking the question, what is this thing connecting with others? We're just assumed that we are able to do it somehow, but we're not. So can you learn it? Absolutely. And the first thing that you need to learn when you want to learn how to make meaningful connections with people is to actually listen to what people are saying. Mm -hmm. it's such a bore it's not a sexy thing I could probably make a lot more money if I was teaching how to get people to listen to you right there's a lot more money in that a lot of people are willing to pay to get people like how do I get people to listen yeah. to me very few people are willing they to pay to be better me, listeners right? themselves yeah right yeah. And, and 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 the crazy thing about that is the way to get people to listen to you is actually to be a better listener right is that right. the most interesting people are always the most interested people the people right. who who actually listen to the answers and then ask follow-up questions that make sense based on what the person just said. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> right? Yes. And that seems obvious. And, and it seems obvious, but we don't do it because when people are talking, we get so wrapped up in trying to figure out something clever or interesting to say in response. Like someone's telling a story and the second we hear them say something and we realize we have a, a response or a reaction to that, we literally tune them out and just try to remember that thing. You can feel it. Your brain is like, remember that thing you want to say, remember that thing you want to say, remember that thing you want to say, right? And then when your eyes see their lips stop moving, we just jump in and say our thing so we don't forget it. And I, I, I always have to laugh. I always joke about that. Like sometimes they've moved the conversation on three points and you didn't even notice and you just scared everybody in the room by jumping in with your thing. People look at you like you're a crazy person. But yeah. It's like, who cares? You got to say your thing. So the first thing we have to do is when people are talking, listen to what they're saying. And the key here is listen not just for what they're saying, but why are they telling me this? And and I think that this is what is this is what helps people alleviate a lot of like the problem of annoying coworkers and things like that. People go, I have this annoying coworker that's just always talking and they're always they're never talking about something that's important. It's always some random story about their weekend. It's like, okay, let's pause for a second. They're obviously taking the time to tell you this thing. So let's wonder, what is it about this story or these kinds of stories that they're always telling that's important to them? I'm not saying we should tolerate people wasting our time in business. I'm saying that before we try to fix the problem of them wasting our time, we need to understand why they're doing the thing they're doing. And so all of connection for me starts with understanding. We don't have to agree, but if we don't understand no conversation can be had. No agreement can be reached. So I, now I'm afraid to say what to say anything because is it going to be a reaction? Was I listening? I not. No. Well, we're doing a different thing here, no, right? No, no, what no, we're I, doing is not a normal conversation. We're I'm doing a, a performance for <laughs> listeners for later, right? We are here to serve the listeners. Absolutely, and I and and I appreciate that. And I was teasing, but um, but I do or I should say, and, and I, I understand and agree with what you're saying, because I remember, you know, it, it goes back to, I used to teach school. I think I told you that I was an elementary school teacher back in my first life and I was young and, and I taught little kids and, and 
when you ask a question or when, or sorry, when kids are doing like show and tell, and they'll come up to the front of the room to share something. The other kids, they're not really listening. They're just waiting for their turn for show and tell. And that's what happens with not being a good listener, right? You're just waiting for your turn to speak or your turn to get up and share. And that's what it always makes me think of the, um, the show and tell situation in school. That's such um, a great example. I love that example. That's yeah, great. You should, great. You should, you should use that. Uh, you should okay. use that example more often. It's a great example. Yeah. Well, I feel as though, um, yes, adults do the same thing. They, they're just different versions of those kids, you know, waiting to have their turn. Yeah. Um, I also read somewhere once when I was, I used to teach customer service type training and, and telephone courtesy back in the day. And, and um, I got onto somebody who was doing listening skills and I was reading his book. And one of the things that he said was, do you know the uh, anagram of the word listen? Do you? I don't think so. The word silent. Oh, how about that? Yeah. How I just love that? that. So the word silent. Yeah. yeah. So think about that. If you want to be, a, you want to be an active listener, but you want to have that moment of silence. Well, well, that's it. And and sometimes when I teach this stuff, people are like, okay, but are you saying like, I never get to talk in a conversation? It's like, no, like there's, you can't connect at anybody. You can no. only connect with them. Right. You know, I mean, people act like they're trying to connect at people yeah. all the time. Um, but the point is that when somebody else is talking when they're giving their point their end of the conversation that you need to try to stay on their end of the conversation while they're on their end of the conversation so that you can ask a follow-up question that yes. makes sense so that you can uh you can get to the bottom of why they're telling you and figure out what's important because then you can do the more advanced active listening techniques that you and i probably both teach like like reflective listening by being able to paraphrase something back to somebody in your words from their point of view. Right. It's like one of the most bonding things you can do with somebody. People have never had somebody do that. They don't, it's not like they go, oh, this person's doing reflective listening. That's not what happens. <laughs> when you do that with someone, they have this this sensation that fill you can see their their face lights up. It's it, it it will change your life when you start being able to do this. When people look like, oh my God, like this person's they actually they're listen. really listening to me like <laughs> you know they're they're notice, noticing what i'm saying and why it's important to me and then when it's your turn to have your end of the conversation because you were so good at doing that for them it inspires more people without knowing the techniques to do it for you and that's how we create a virtuous cycle how do you get people to be better listeners for you do it for them lead by right. example make it feel good to do it Totally. That's so good. And it, um, it, it makes me think of when uh, people, uh, you know, you've had a conversation with somebody, it may be a first time conversation, or you've, you know, you've done a follow up from meeting them at some networking event or a business meeting or whatever, and you have this one to one, and they come away, or even at the very first time you met them at an event, let's say, um, and they come away from the conversation, and they say that was I was so great to meet you. I just really enjoyed our conversation. And you said nothing. You made, you, you let them do all the talking, right? Right. right. It didn't matter that they didn't know nothing more about you because you got them to talk and now they're interested enough to do that follow-up because, you know. 
they yeah, talk. Yeah, and it's and you used to teach customer service, and and you, I'm sure you 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 trained on sales uh, from time mm-hmm. to time. I'm sure you've done some of that, and and I I work with lots of sales groups, and I also work one on one with entrepreneurs and so, you know sole proprietors. And every time someone comes to me uh, for coaching or consulting on their sales process, they're saying I'm I'm not closing as many of these discovery calls as I'd like to, even without watching, listening to, knowing anything about their process, I can almost guarantee nine out of 10 times the problem is they're talking too much in the discovery call. And I tell them just, here's the principle. The least amount you talk, the more likely they are to hire you. Most people who hire me to train them on TEDx, to get a TEDx talk and then to deliver a talk, most of the people who end up hiring me I don't see a damn thing in the discovery call. And I mean, like, nothing. Like, I'll get on. <laughs> it's a 20-minute call, and I'll say, so what's on your mind? And then I lean back in my chair, and they talk for 20 minutes. Or they talk for 19 minutes, and then they get to 19, look, and go, oh, my God, we've got one minute left. I'm sorry. Uh, you tell me what you think. And because they talked for so long, they felt like, I'm actually paying attention. I'm not here to sell them anything. I'm not here to sell them something they don't need. I'm not here to work them on anything. I couldn't, I didn't say anything. And it's not like this is some trick. It's like the truth is people want to do business with someone who is actually listening to them. They wanna do business with someone. They wanna be in your company when you make them feel heard and seen and valued and understood. So it's like, it's the, the, cheapest easiest way to get better at sales stop talking yeah it's a great that's great <laughs> advice um i read something that you said um that i think i don't know if it came from zoe's new book but it's on your um, podcast um show notes because I, I love you know we we touched on how timing can be used to positively influence someone and offer advice on how to stop turning people off by asking to pick their brain or buy them a cup of coffee <laughs> So what do you say now? What do you do? People want to know. Don't say that to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Zoe Zoe and I actually hashed this out together in real time during that conversation okay. on my podcast. Cause she so so Leah. Yeah. So we no no no. So so this is this is perfect timing because she and I just had this conversation because we were both talking about the fact that as busy people, and this isn't like some like ego thing. I'm I don't think I'm some important person, but I'm busy, I'm booked, and most busy entrepreneur professional people are like that um whether you've heard of them or not they're busy and so just like you're busy whoever you are that's listening to this right now so if you want a busy person to find time in their calendar and give you their time you need to do it in a way that actually feels like a benefit to them not to you the problem Mm -hmm. with can i pick your brain or buy you a cup of coffee is there's no benefit to the busy person that you're asking and you know that there needs to be a benefit to them because you're asking for something for free from them. You're asking for their ideas, their time, their energy, their intellectual property. So you've already admitted what I'm asking you for is valuable and I'm asking for it, quote unquote, for free. So you need to offer them something in return. What do you offer a busy person? You offer them status. If you can't pay with money, you offer them status. Status is a really, really critical um, part, I think, of, of business and of relationships that is not talked about much. Uh, my hero and mentor, Seth Godin, has been talking about this for the last couple of years uh, quite a bit. Um, so he's really pushing this forward, and I'm happy to pick up that torch mm-hmm. and that mantle. So let's say you're trying to reach out to one of your heroes um, and get some advice from them. Mm-hmm. 
And if you ask them, can I buy you a cup of coffee? That's silly. They can afford their own coffee. They don't need your $3, right? Or, seven, or, or $17 <laughs> if you're at Starbucks or whatever, right? They don't need your money. Uh, uh, pick your brain is the, the worst thing you could say because it's a terrible expression. It comes, it has terrible visuals associated with it and it, and it feels uncomfortable. Um, what you can do is you can say, um, can I, can I get your advice? I I'm looking for your advice because when you ask someone for advice, you're implicitly saying you have something valuable to offer me, mm -hmm. right? And I'm ready to receive the wisdom that you have. You're putting them up on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's the way forward. And I think this is the way forward in most business relationships too. I, I, I made a blog post recently, stop asking for feedback and start asking for advice. Mm -hmm. When you ask someone for feedback, like if you're a, a manager of a team and you do a project for three months and at the end of it, you want your team, you, you want to learn from the experience. So you ask your team for feedback. How did I do managing this project? Can I get your feedback? People are really nervous to give you feedback. Right, because you're their boss. Because you're their boss. Yeah. But if you say to your team, can, if I ever led a project like this again, what advice would you have for me? Mm. You as the boss are putting yourself on the same, you're giving them your status. You're giving them the level status. You're saying, I have something to learn from you. Mm. And people are, and now they're much more likely to one, give you honest, quote unquote, feedback because it's being couched in a much kinder light. And you're giving them a chance to actually say something that would be useful to you instead of just getting the blowing smoke up your butt stuff that most people are gonna do. So it wins them. for everybody. You're right. empowering you're them, exactly. Empowering them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, Advice that's, is really useful. Yeah, that's really good. That's a nugget there for sure. I love that. Um, yeah. So I'm a person who um, really thinks it's important, Brian, to use people's names and to remember people's names. And you have a whole thing in your book about the art and importance of remembering names. So why do names matter for you? Yes, names, thank you for asking this. It was the last chapter written for the book and it was the only written because my editor cut an entire chapter right at the last hour, said this chapter of your book is completely unnecessary given how the book shaped up. And I was like, okay, uh, that's that's a shame because I spent six weeks on that chapter, but okay. Yeah. You know, and then she was like, but now the book is too short. And I was like, right. <laughs> so you see the problem. We she said, so you have something else we can put in. At the last hour in a desperate attempt to get the book out, I wrote that on people's names. Well, and I got to tell you, it has probably become the, the most loved chapter in the book. I get asked about that more Ooh. often than probably any other chapter. Um, and that makes me very, very happy because I had no idea this was so interesting to people. Um, why are names important? Names are important because even though in theory they are arbitrary, your parent gave you essentially an, a, a, a node, an assigner, a variable, right? I got a math degree. So it's a variable at birth that just points to you. Uh, and it's not even unique most of the time, right? Just, just You know how many Brian Millers there are in America? Yes, I yes. know, I know there are over 5,000. Wow. Um, there were three of me in my high school while I was in high school. Wait, at the same that's time. spelled with an I. But what with an I. Ones with a, a Y as well. Maybe. I have I have <laughs> no idea. Too many. There's Sorry. too many. I had to do something interesting with my life. That's how um, card I was like, I, I got to do something that. to distinguish myself from all the Brian Millers. <laughs> um, so 
So why are names important? It's because it's the, the number one thing you hear most often from birth. We just, we associate it with who we are, even though in theory it has nothing to do with who we are. It's the thing that we most associate with who we are. And so even if you remember every detail about someone's life and all of the things they told you and their kids' soccer game and all this, if you forget their name or God forbid call them by the wrong name or even pronounce their name wrong, people intellectually are not upset rationally they're not upset but emotionally they're devastated it just it you just feel like oh, this person doesn't care it's just this is instinct we have um so getting people's names right is one of the fastest ways to build a real connection i mean really build a connection because people just feel it at their core when you get their name right so you reminded me of something that happens to me on occasion and i know people are in a hurry and they might write an, an email quickly respond quickly to someone's email or whatever but my name is janice it's not janet it's never been janet and so many people say janet blah 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 and i'm like it just sends like shudders up my spine and then so i always feel i have to respond who's janet <laughs> you know or something uh, like that yeah and and you know what and i gotta tell you so i made the exact mistake recently. I was Ooh. flying through emails in between sessions and I care about this stuff. I talk, I've trained my team, my assistant, my graphic designer. When you're responding to somebody, you have to triple check you got their name right because you're representing me and my, and you're representing my business. It's so important to me that we get names right. It's, it's it. Mm -hmm. And I messed up in an email <laughs> recently to somebody. I was, I was touching base with a couple of people that I had not talked to in over a year and I was not close with them. We had had one or two conversations, nothing came of it. And I was just touching base a year later. Hey, how did that project go that you were working on when we touched base? And I was doing it way too fast, which is always a mistake, trying to get it, get yeah. it in, right? Which means I wasn't actually focused on them. I was focused on me. I got to get these emails out before my mm -hmm. next session. It was all about me. And we all make the same mistake. You know, I'm not a saint. You're not a saint. People who train on this stuff are not perfect people. Right. Um, and an email came back five minutes later that literally called me out on having a completely different name. It wasn't even close. It was like just somebody else's name. I was responding to the previous email or the next sure. email. I just messed up. And totally different name. And she said, I, 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 gotta, I just got to find how funny it is that you talk about this stuff for a living and you got my name wrong. Like it was literally like a very direct Ooh. like call yeah. out, you know, and I just my my heart sank when I saw it. And I started sweating like I literally <laughs> had like this. It was like two weeks ago. I had like this just a complete meltdown reaction. I felt so bad. And I wrote back and I apologized profusely. And I, you know, no, no excuse for this my fault i got it wrong i know how much that sucks i know how i feel terrible and i hope you know that i actually did write that email that wasn't some bot it wasn't my crm getting the wrong name that was really me and it was a real mistake by a real human and i'm very sorry and you know whatever um and she was just like yeah no it's fine i don't really care but like just thought it was funny anyway yeah. hope things are good with you you know yeah. kind of a thing like yeah. you know there's but 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 what i'll say is there probably never was going to be a future in that relationship because it's someone I hadn't talked to in a year, but now there definitely won't be. <laughs> and, and that, right? 
and there's no way to come back from that. And I and and that's not the reason I'm upset. I'm not upset because I lost potential right. business. It just I felt so bad because when people do it to me, it drives me up a wall. Yes. Someone wrote to me with I don't know John or something like that, and they were trying to invite me on their podcast, and I was just like. Yeah, it's not going to happen. You can't get my name right. I'm not going on your podcast. Now, I know intellectually it was probably the same. Maybe they were a super fan of mine. Maybe they'd watch my TED Talk a hundred times and they just wrote an email too quick. I know that intellectually and I still feel the same way. That's the problem with names. So, yes, you know, um, one last thing on names, then I want to come to the last topic I want to quickly talk to you about because I know I'm running out of time here, but you know what? I'm loving this conversation. I love talking to you, Janice. Thank you so much, Brian. (laughs) So, you know, with names, um, and again, I teach, I used to teach networking skills, and that was one of the things we talk about, you know, is um, remembering people's names and how do you do it? And my husband, bless his heart, would always say, I'm not very good at names. I don't remember names and, you know, whatever. Well, to me, that's a cop out because it's a skill you can learn. Do you agree? Yes, you're nodding your head. Yes, Um, absolutely. And you know, the, the age old, um, say it three times in the conversation. And then there's those people who are way more visual than I am. And the only one I can ever remember this example with is the name Bob. And you see someone bobbing in the ocean and that's how you remember his name. <laughs> yeah. so using mnemonics yeah. and, and those kinds of things. And, uh, uh, oh, that reminds me of a whole other thing of remembering a list by doing, you know, one is, mm-hmm. What one gun, it? two shoe, three tree. Yeah, yeah it's an old, yeah, yeah. memory, memory yes. palaces and all kinds. Right? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, uh, but it is important. And and names, the other thing about names, actually, that just came to mind that I love is it's a conversation starter often for me. If somebody has an interesting, unusual ethnic name, then I can kind of guess where they came from or, you know, if they don't mind me asking, you know, is this Polish um, uh, ethnicity? And they go, yes, actually it is. And now you've, you know, mm. paid attention to something. Oh, yeah, or or no, it's not. And then they tell you what it actually is. Exactly. It's the yeah. same thing. Yeah, uh, people yeah. get nervous when they say stuff like that, that they're going to get it wrong. So they don't say it. it's like getting it wrong is still a conversation starter. It's still yeah. showing that you're engaged in in the conversation because people who aren't engaged don't ask questions. They That's don't, right. You have right? to be curious. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So coming back to curiosity in a minute. Last topic I want to talk about because I, I can't not. Oh, double negative. I can't not talk about this. <laughs> and that is magic because you are an amazing sleight of hand magician. You've been doing magic magic for since you were a kid. And mm-hmm. um and you have one child or two, I can't remember. One who I can one. I can hear grumping somewhere off in the house right okay. now. Hopefully and that's he, not coming it, in through the mic. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I can't hear it. And and um does having a young child, because I think he's young. Yes, three maybe. Six, sixteen months. He's a oh, little he's toddler. Okay. He's very oh my goodness! Little. So yes. it's too soon to really ask this question. But does that inspire you in a new way to um, to perform magic? Because he's going to see it with these big eyes, you know, as you start to play, you know, the coin coming out of his ear or whatever magic yeah. little sleight of hand. It's a 
good question, and I because he's just a little too young for it, I don't have a great answer right now. What I can tell you is the most magical thing for me is the fact that everything's magical to him. Yes. Uh, he discovered just about two or three weeks ago that there's a spot behind our where our two couches meet at the right angle that if he go we don't have a coffee table back there right now like you know a lot of yeah. people have a little side table yeah. at that spot an end table we don't cuz he could tip it on himself and sure. we had to baby proof the house so it's just an empty random little nook and so he discovered that if he goes back there and crouches down he's Hi. invisible yeah now <laughs> What we start the now we made the mistake or or maybe not the mistake of the first time thinking it was so cute that he thought he was invisible. I started doing the walk around the house. Where's Milo? And what I would do is I I would walk right to him where I could lock eyes with him, see him straight, but I'd look right over his head and go, Where's Milo? And so he thinks he's invisible when he's in that spot. Now, when I say he thinks he's invisible. I mean the most magical possible way, which is if I'm looking at him, he's looking at me, we're locked eyes. If he takes two steps to the right and now he's in that spot, he thinks I can't see him anymore. And it's so much better than any magic trick you've ever seen in your life. It he And he's, he's giggling and he's freaking out that I suddenly can't see him, uh, which bit me the other day, though, while I was trying to make dinner and I'm trying to look in and make sure. And I couldn't see him all of a sudden. And I didn't know where he was. And I couldn't find him. And I'm tearing around the downstairs. And I finally found him. He was hiding in his hiding spot. And he wasn't coming out when I was calling him because he thought we were playing hide and seek. He was invisible. Yeah. I was freaking out whether there's stuff on the kitchen, on the stove. Um, what I will say for a caution to any young, young uh, parents of young children, as a magician, I always like to give this caution. Do not pull anything, quote unquote, out of their ears when they're under seven or eight years old. Six, maybe. Six, seven or eight years old. When you magically pull something out of their ear, uh, some kids uh, will think that that it actually came out of their ear and they can hurt themselves digging into their own ear actually I used with a their bad nails. example I used to yeah bad yeah no no but but yeah. you use the example everybody uses and everybody does and I used to like to do this little PSA kids can hurt themselves sure. digging into their own ear before they realize it's a magic trick and magic believe it or not if you look at educational psychology uh, and the research Kids cannot actually understand magic until almost seven years old. It's way later than parents think it is. And and this will make sense as soon as I say it. To understand a magic trick, that it is a magic trick, you have to have a concrete understanding of what is not possible before you can appreciate magic. Mm -hmm. As long as impossible things are still possible, magic mm -hmm. is not magic. Mm -hmm. It's just a thing you did. Sure. Right. It's why if you've ever tried to do a magic trick for a five year old, if you're funny, they'll laugh, but they're not la they're not reacting to the magic they, like you. You pull you pull a scarf out of nowhere. They're like, yeah, yeah, I guess that happens. I guess that's a thing that happens. Like yeah. they don't know that's not possible yet. Um, so I don't know if that was interesting or not. No, but that, there's a little, little. Yeah. It, what was really interesting was the story about Milo and his invisibility, because my little granddaughter is two and a half. And every time she comes over in the last three months, let's play hide and seek, Grandma. Let's play hide and seek. And she always goes to the same spot under the table. And, <laughs> and, and she thinks you can't see her there. And it's the very yeah. same story. And it's, it's, it's it is magical, by the way. It is just priceless. It is. Yeah, it's yeah. just priceless. And I, I love, yeah. you know, little kids and, and um, 
and magic. And it makes me think of my late dad who used to, you know, try and trick my kids with magic and so on as well in, you know, the, the simplest way, but um, so do you still because you don't perform magic now, do you? A little bit for kind of VIP clients who've known me a long time. If they make a request, I'll do it, but very little. Do you miss doing it? Do you keep your hand in it? Like you're, yeah, well, okay. so I use a little bit of magic in every single speech or workshop. It's part of the hook. It's part of the fun sure. of people. You know, if I'm on stage for an hour giving a speech, there will be five minutes of magic and, and it will be weaved throughout, not even in one shot. Um, so I, I here's what's interesting. I by the time I quit magic to become a speaker, I, I well, you know, it happened took two years to make that quit happen. Mm-hmm. But like the transition out, I was so sick of magic uh, and I was sick of it because this happens to a lot of people who take their passion and turn it into their career. Yes. Yes. So many people like the hustle culture hashtag hustle has made an entire generation of kids think that you should turn your passion into a profession, that that's the that's the right way forward. The nine to five is is for lame people. It's for corporate people. Um, I, I I've been pushing back really hard the last few years against this. I don't I think most people should not turn their passion into their profession. And and the reason is not because I don't want people to be happy. I think you should. F- but there's a difference between your job and your, you know, what lights your soul on fire, you know, and, and it, they don't have to be the same thing. You know, great for you if they are very lucky. But what happened to me is I loved magic. I, I love it was my whole it was my soul. And then to be a professional magician, you have to make compromises. You have to only do tricks that are quick enough to move from group to group over an hour and get to everybody during cocktail hour. When you're flying, you can't bring the big fun stuff with you and because I can't aff- I couldn't afford to bring that stuff with me. So I had to make compromises. Uh, you have to figure out ways to fit yourself into the boxes that corporate planners were actually booking for. Lots of compromises. And then you spend 95% of your time running a business. I was really a marketer who did magic at night. That's really what I was. And I loved marketing, but it's not why I got into magic for a living. I got into magic because I loved magic. And I got to a point, Janice, where (laughs) the actual shows became an obstacle. Mm. I got to a point where I was so busy running the business that I would look at my calendar and I go, oh crap, I have a show tonight. And then I was annoyed that I had to go out and do a show because I needed that time for sales. I needed that time for marketing. And then I had a moment where that happened to me and I went, wait a second, all the marketing is, no, the reason I'm doing the marketing is to be able to do the shows. And when I had that moment where I actually was annoyed that I had to go do a show, that was the something's gotta change moment for me. Um, and I had no idea how it was going to change because I was not qualified to do anything else. And then I you gave it to the next talk. You thought. Yeah, well, right. Yeah. But I, I didn't know. And, yeah. and, and I had a philosophy talk. degree. And then a TEDx talk came out of nowhere and it went mega viral and it gave me an off ramp, yeah. you know, awesome. and, and I took it and I ran with it. And now that I don't have to do magic, right. I get to do magic again. I love magic now when I because I get to do magic now. And when you do it for a living, you have to do it. And it completely changes your relationship with your art. I totally understand that. So um, two questions. One, who other than you, who is your favorite magician? Who do you respect and, and, you know, think is an amazing magician? Yeah, I'm not even in my top 10 favorite magicians. Um, (laughs) So 
my favorite none of my favorite magicians are people that most people would have heard of so okay. of of the celebrity magicians you would have heard of Penn and Teller are my favorites oh, okay Penn and Teller are incredible should you ever be so lucky to see them you should uh or and watch their show on yeah. fool us you know and yeah and... i don't think i've actually i i have seen them and i we didn't see them i don't know if we saw them in vegas or not but um i don't pay that much attention to their magic so i'll have to look that up and see why you yeah. think that. okay yeah okay and the last question i want to ask you because this has been delightful and i I really have appreciated the conversation with you and see my voice is going out. <clears throat> um, <laughs> That's okay. Is, do you have um, any magical um, advice for my audience uh, regarding connections, you know, uh, you, from your book or from your heart, from your, from your uh, trainings around connections and relationships? Yeah. I'll just leave you with this. Uh, I mentioned this kind of earlier, but it's probably the best place to end. Every interaction is meaningful. Every person you meet is important. That is my mantra. I wake up thinking that every day. I go to sleep thinking that every day. I think it to myself as often as I can, especially when I'm stressed and feeling like I don't have time for people today because I've got so much work to do. Every interaction is meaningful. Every person you meet is important. And that actually came for me from the nerdiest of places. I'm a huge Doctor Who fanatic. I'm a oh. crazy fan of the sci-fi show Doctor Who, which is the longest running sci-fi show in history, yeah. et cetera. It's been like 60 years or whatever. And there was an episode of the modern era of Doctor Who. Doctor Who fans listening will get the difference between modern era and classic era. There's an episode in the modern era where a person the Doctor encountered at the end of the story, she said, I don't understand why you're so interested in me. I'm... I'm nobody, you know, she said, I'm not important. And he said, in 900 years of time and space, I've never met anybody who wasn't important. Mm. And I'm almost in tears, like thinking about that. <laughs> like it, it, it changed, it just changed me of all from all the silly nerdy places. when I heard him say that, uh, this character, the sci-fi character, and I just thought, that's it, right? Everybody is important. And so when you live every day like that, it transforms the kind of conversations you have with people, the way you engage with them, your ability to say, I hear you, I see you, and I'm here for you, even if we don't always see eye to eye. That is magical. Thank you so much. And thank you for your time today. And to my audience, if you enjoyed this, please let us know, leave a review and Brian's information where you can watch his magic, see what he's up to and connect with him will be in the show notes. And remember to stay connected and be remembered. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If this show has inspired you to reach out to connect to someone new or nurture a current or past relationship, and you think that others can benefit from listening, please share this episode. If you have feedback or questions about the episode, please leave a note in the comment sections below. If you would like to receive automatic updates of new podcast episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or from the podcast app on your mobile device. Ratings and reviews from my listeners are extremely valuable to me and greatly appreciated. 
They help the podcast rank higher on iTunes, which exposes my show to more awesome listeners like you. So if you have a minute, please leave an honest review on iTunes. And remember to stay connected and be remembered.